Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from proper 11. Now, remember, we are in the second half of the liturgical season. The first half started with Advent at the end of November, the beginning of December, depending on when Christmas is, Christmas Day, which is always December 25th. We go from Advent to Christmas, to Epiphany, to Lent, to Easter, to Pentecost. And now we're in the Sundays after Pentecost. And we are working till the last Sunday after Pentecost, which we call Christ the King Sunday. So we are looking at scriptures from Sunday to Saturday. And this week we're going to continue our study of 1 Samuel, which is a history book of the Old Testament. Now, remember, the first five books are the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then we start the history books with Joshua because Joshua is going to take the people of Israel who left Egypt in bondage by Moses and he's going to take them in the promised land. And we have Judges and then we have First and Second Samuel. All right, we are in First and Second Samuel. We're going to be looking at First Samuel this week and uh, at the end of the... Um, week on Saturday, you can see 2 Samuel, and then on proper 12, we'll be continuing in 2 Samuel. First and 2 Samuel, the history of Israel. Our second book is the book of Acts in the New Testament, and we're continuing to look at the book of Acts. It has 28 chapters. The book of Acts is after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and it tells the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in chapter 2. We have the ascension of Jesus in chapter 1, the choosing of Matthias at the end of chapter 1, uh, with the loss of Judas, of course, who committed suicide. And then we have the movement of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the ascendancy of Paul in chapter 9 of Acts, and Peter's work, and James's work, and John's work, the apostles' work, the people like Barnabas, and Titus, and Timothy, and a wonderful cadre of people that God sends out to uh, share the gospel. And that's in Acts. And we'll look at that in a couple minutes. And then finally, on our third reading is the book of Mark. We finished the book of Luke. And now we are in the book of Mark. And we just systematically work it through. Now, the value of the daily lectionary is that we are able to read through a very significant amount of scripture in this one-year period. And then we do the second year. And so in a two-year period, we have a tremendous amount of data that we've collected in reading through the Bible. It's very helpful for those people who uh, don't want to just open the Bible and start reading. Finally, you may have a commentary that you might pick up that you can read along with. You might have study notes at the bottom of the page, or you just may des might desire just to read the text. One of the things I like to do is when we post the, um, the program, uh, we uh, post it on a Friday. And so when I'm driving in on Friday, I will listen to it. So it's very helpful for me just to listen to scriptures memorize the scriptures, think about the scriptures, learn the scriptures before I start reading it every day beginning on Sunday. So uh, there's a listening component to this uh, program. There's also a study uh, component to it. 
Let's look at 1 Samuel. Get your Bibles out if you are stationary and not driving a car like I like to do while I listen to the program. Uh, But if you're at your desk or in a comfortable chair, uh, please open your Bible and follow with us. uh, And we will work through Samuel, Acts, and Mark. These are ideas for you to be thinking about as you read the text in its entirety uh, yourself. 1 Samuel 25, 7-18, to the key here is that Saul is pursuing David. Now Saul is, as you remember, the first king of Israel. The Israelites wanted a king. And uh, God said no, and they said yes, and God said no, and they said yes, and then finally God gave them a king and told them, this is not going to work out, guys, and it did not. Saul disobeyed the Lord in a very key place uh, and a key time, and the Lord turned his face from him. And in 1 Samuel 16, if you recall, David was called to be the king. Um, And Samuel went and poured the oil over him, and the Spirit of God came on him. Uh, This uh, was a very significant uh, scripture as Samuel was sent by God to Bethlehem. That probably is a familiar word to you, uh, to see the sons of Jesse. And, of course, Jesse's youngest son, the eighth one, is David. Saul is pursuing David and wants to hurt him or even kill him because he's very jealous of David. And although David has done some fantastically good things for him, David stayed in the desert, verse 14, in the desert strongholds in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Now, that is a very interesting scripture. The protection that we have is ultimately in the Lord. And God prevented Saul from hurting David, capturing David, and even potentially killing David. And of course, all of you know, if you've read through 2 Samuel, David does not die. David becomes the king. Saul actually dies by killing himself, falling on the sword at the end of 1 Samuel. Okay, so he is trying to pursue him and he's trying to hurt him. 1 Samuel 24, David is sparing Saul's life. So in verse 1, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 men from all Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. Saul went in to relieve himself, went to the bathroom. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, this is the very day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal as you wish. David crept up unnoticed, and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He came up right behind him. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. He always referred to him as the Lord's anointed. Or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So David felt very strongly that Saul not be killed or hurt in any way because he was the anointed of the word of the Lord. Verse 7, with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. This is a fabulous example of the 
extraordinary mercy of David. Now David went out of the cave in verse 8 and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. Saul looked, by, looked behind him. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David has been on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands into the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you, David says. I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. When David finished saying this, Saul asked in verse 16, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. So he confesses, Saul confesses that he had maligned his friend. You have just now told me of the good you did for, to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. And he could have. When a man finds his enemy, his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you for the way you treated me today. I know that surely you will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Verse 21, now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Verse 22, so David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. In 25, 1 Samuel 25, that was very, very, very significant. 23 to 34 is about Abigail, Nabal, and David. It's a beautiful story and very, very long. Um, and uh, enjoy reading it. Eventually, uh, Abigail marries uh, David, but read the story uh, how that all transpired and what happened there. 1 Samuel 28. Now, Saul becomes so desperate that he contacts the witch of Endor. Isn't that incredible? It's an amazing thing. In verse 3, Samuel is dead. This is a very strange scripture. All of Israel mourned for him and buried him, and Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from his land. The Philistines came up. Saul saw the army. He was terrified, and terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. Then Saul said, Find me a woman who is a medium so may go and inquire of him. This one is from Endor. So he disguised himself, put on his clothes, and went to the woman, and he wanted the spiritus to bring up Samuel. Bring her up. The woman said, who shall I bring up? Bring up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried at the top of the voice and said, why do you deceive me? You're Saul. What do you see? I see a spirit coming out of the ground. So believe it or not, Saul ends up speaking to Samuel. And I will leave you with what happens from there. 1 Samuel 31. Remember when I talked about Saul taking his life? It happens in the 31st chapter. Incredibly sad. They killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce, verse 3, around Saul. The archers overtook him. They wounded him critically. Saul said to the armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or those these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. So he knew if he didn't die, 
they were going to torture him and then malign him and do some terrible thing to him, which is very highly probable. His armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So the idea of falling on your sword and died. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all of his men died that day. And David hears about it on our Saturday reading. You see the scriptures are in this post. You see the Saturday reading, 2 Samuel 1, 1 to 16. And this person comes back and talks about destroying the Lord's anointed. And this person is struck down in verse 15. David called one of his men to go strike him down. He struck him down and he died. Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Now, obviously, he didn't kill the Lord's anointed because the Lord's anointed was killed by himself. But he said that he did. And again, remember I told you David was very serious about not hurting or harming Saul in any way. So Saul is dead as we begin 2 Samuel. Enjoy the readings. Acts 13. We are working through the book of Acts. We have, as I mentioned earlier, we have Saul, who is now Paul. He's doing some tremendous miracles. 1344, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The Jews saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Now remember, Paul was going to the Jews. He was ministering very well to the Jews, but the Jews didn't want to hear it. They were treating him very badly. This is a very important verse, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 47. 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, the Jewish people have had a very hard time receiving the Messiah in that first century and in the last 20 centuries. And there have been many who have received, but very few in terms of the total, total picture. So the Jewish people had a hard time receiving Jesus as the Messiah, even to this very day. Paul and Peter made a very strong concerted effort to do so, and then in the famous Acts 13, 46, Paul said, I'm now going to the Gentiles, and that's basically what he did the rest of his ministry. Acts 14, 1 to 18. Now we're watching Paul go into these journeys, into these missionary journeys, to these different places that he goes to, and lots of different things happen along the way. In each of these vignettes, as they were, or each of these historical incidences, sometimes we have theology, sometimes we have a, a, an outstanding miracle. One of the things you might want to do is in the back of your Bible, if you have a, um, you have a map, a geographic map, you might want to see where Paul is. A lot of the maps nowadays, they will uh, show you his journey. And, and, and put an arrow there and show you where he's been and where he's going and where he ends up. So, uh, and he takes three. 
Uh, he takes three missionary journeys ultimately. All right, he's at Iconium, chapter 14, 1 through 8. Then he goes to Lystra and Derby, And then he goes to Antioch in Syria. They usually went into, a, a, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, they went into a Jewish synagogue, which they usually did. They spoke effectively. The Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles. They poisoned their minds. Jewish people were not very nice about Jesus. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time at Iconium. They spoke boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So you see the signs and wonders. Remember, we saw that in Jesus' time, what Jesus did, and, then, and the apostles that he sent out. Remember the 72 that he sent out in Luke. And we also see it um, in the Acts period, the Acts of the Apostles, where they were given miraculous signs and miracles. And um, uh, I'm thinking of Acts chapter 3 and the crippled, for example, being uh, raised so that he could walk. They continue to preach the good news. They went to Lystra and Derby. Here's another man crippled in his feet, lame from birth, never walked. Paul said, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he stood up and walked. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes because they made a big deal out of them. They thought that they were gods. Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. They were praising them. They were making a big deal out of them. We're bringing you good news. We're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So remember, all these people are pagan people. They do not know the Lord at all. They have false gods. They worship other gods. They have false ideologies. They have false views. So they had to go in there and they had to show, demonstrate the power of God. And then they had to teach them. That was a hard thing to do. So it was very miraculous that God used them. And then God's Spirit came down on them as preachers and teachers and healers, and casting out of devils, like Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit came down on those that were listening so that they too received the message that was given to them and that they had heard really for the first time, a lot of them. They returned to Antioch in Syria. They returned to Antioch in Syria. There's our Wednesday reading from uh, Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done from them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the d- disciples. So Luke is doing the best that he can do as guided by the Holy Spirit to look at the journeys of Paul with Barnabas or Mark or Timothy or Titus and recounting what happened and what the key things that happened were. Then we have the very famous, in chapter 15, the Council of Jerusalem. There were disagreements in the church, as you can imagine, unless you're circumcised. According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's verse 1. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So this is how the 15th chapter is a very important chapter of how they handled Contention in the church. This uh, chapter is studied, very famous chapter is studied uh, by scholars very, very much 
in detail and in the church to how do you deal with conflict in the church? How do you deal with different problems? All right, so different people got up to speak. Peter got up to speak in verse 6. So Peter was there. Uh, Paul was there. Barnabas was there. James was there. James is a very famous person. Um, uh, uh, Jesus' half-brother, if, if, as you will, the writer of, uh, of James. And he got up and speak. Uh, verse 13, brothers, listen to me. Simon, who's described to us how God had first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophet are in agreement. And then he quotes the scripture. It is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God because they want him to do all these Jewish things, which made it difficult for them to do because they didn't need to, be get, to get circumcised as an adult. There's no reason to go back and do that. Instead, we should write to them, which they did, and the letter follows in 22 following, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, which is an extraordinary problem in the Gentile community, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath, verse 21 of chapter 15. So they decided to choose some of their own men in 22 and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Then they cho chose Judas Barsabbas and Silas, another famous guy in the Acts, two men who were leader among the brothers. They sent this letter to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, and they gave their verdict. They gave what they should do, okay? And told them in verse 28 and 29 what to do. So they were sent off. They gathered the church together. They delivered the letter. The people read it. They were glad for its message. We even do that to this day, where bishops will speak for many people, and they will read those in, in the churches uh, from the bishops. Judas and Silas, who, per, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, verse 33, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So they're constantly preaching. They're constantly teaching. They're doing miracles as the Spirit enables them and guides them. Uh, and when there's conflict, as we see in 15, they dealt with the conflict. They're always on the move, thinking about the body of Christ and ministering to the body of Christ. Quite extraordinary. Enjoy Acts 13, 14, and 15. Let's go back to Jesus. Jesus is beginning his ministry in Mark. We are in the fourth chapter, and we have the parable of the sower, the famous parable of the sower. The seed falls on three not-so-good places, hard ground, rocky places, and thorns, and then the good soil. It only works well in the good soil. The, the seed, of course, is the word of God. Verse 20. Others like seed sown in good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, they produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times why it was sown. Not all the same, but it produced a crop, some more than others. What do we need to do with the word of God? We need to hear it, we need to accept it. What are we doing here with the daily lectionary? We are proclaiming the scriptures. We are sharing the scriptures with you. We're asking you and me to go and read them during the week and pray with them and consider them and listen. Ask God to show you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come along and give you insight and wisdom. And we are there to accept it. And we pray that it produces a crop. What's the point of all of this? Produce a crop. 
produce a crop for the Lord. May these teachings help all of us significantly in our walk with God. He has the parable of growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. Read them carefully and slowly. Ask the Lord to speak to you regarding them. Then we have Jesus calming the storm. He's sleeping. There's a big storm on the Sea of Galilee. Everybody's freaking out. Jesus is calm. They wake him up because they're terrified. He asks them in verse 40, why are you afraid? Do you have any faith? Uh, They couldn't believe that he said that. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves believe, obey him. Because he just said, stop. It stopped. It takes a while to fully appreciate what you have in Christ. How great he is. How magnificent he is. Look at the fifth chapter. The extraordinary fifth chapter of the healing of the demon-possessed man. And it's very long in Mark 1 through 20. Has a legion of angels. uh, Angels. A legion of demons. Not angels. Demons. If he had a legion of angels, he'd be in good shape. But he didn't. And he cut himself and he abused himself and he abused others. He was so strong, no one could tame him. He meets Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. This is the demon speaking. Swear to God that you won't torture me. Because Jesus was saying, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now remember, Jesus is stronger than evil spirits. What is your name? Legion, for we are many. And so a herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons were cast out by Jesus, went into the pigs. The pigs went over the cliff and died. Do you think that the townspeople were excited about this man being freed? No, they were concerned about the pigs. They were concerned about the pigs. The demon-possessed man was beside himself. He wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus said no, verse 19. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And so that's what he did. And the Bible says the people were amazed. We have this extraordinary teacher with a parable of the sower and the seed, etc., mustard seed. We have this extraordinary miracle of calming the wind and the waves. We have this extraordinary miracle of healing of a demon-possessed man. No one in history could have done that but Jesus. And then we have 6, 1 to 13. Uh, And then in the second half, I'm sorry, in the second half of chapter 5, we have the dead girl and the sick woman. So we have a woman that's sick that touches his garment that is healed. And then we have a dead person that he raises from the dead. So in... In just a couple of chapters, we have these amazing miracles and this amazing amazing teaching skill. And then in chapter 6, 1 to 13, he couldn't do any miracles in his hometown because they had no faith. Their unbelief prevented them from anything happening of any significance. He sends out the 12 in chapter 6. 1 through 13, he sends out the 12 and they go and do the ministries that Jesus spoke about. They went out and preached that people should repent. Preaching, teaching, casting out devils, healing the sick. So if you look at this whole thing today, you have in the Gospels and in Acts some amazing things that these guys were doing. Both what Jesus was doing and his apostles, 
and then after Jesus, what was going on. In the Old Testament, we have this shift of power between Saul, who was disobedient to the Lord, and then as we'll see in 2 Samuel, we'll see David obedient to the Lord and blessed of the Lord. You might want to keep in mind what God is doing as you look at the scriptures all at the same time. But that's not necessary. Try to get something out of them each time you read. Well, we've had a good time spending these amazing scriptures and spent some time looking at them and praying about them. I pray that you will have a wonderful week of study and reflection and prayer. God bless you, and we'll see you next week for Proper 12.